Welcome to Sam Explains It All, a multimedia project meant to help you explain the things you love. I'm your host, Sam, and our topic today is Over the Garden Wall and American Gothic Venturing into the Unknown. Today's special guest is Abby Zaharko, a very close friend of mine and probably going to be our long-term editor for the essays of this series and also a specialist in anthropology and English. Abby, do you want to talk about yourself a little bit? Oh boy, do I. (laughs) Yeah, so I went to school for anthropology and English, two of arguably the worst things to do in your career, but I love both of them and I like... uh, editing people's stuff. I like reading classical things. No, I don't. That was a lie. Um, and I like digging up dead people. That's, uh, that's why we had you come on is because I, I know you don't have anything to do after 10 o'clock PM because neither of us have well-paying jobs because of our fields of study. Thing that I do post 10 PM is usually sleep because I'm an old person. Yeah, I'm keeping you up. Um, so one of the reasons I went on this topic is because you have like a very particular look at how literature plays into a society. And I believe American Gothic is one of the bigger things that have shaped both modern literature and also kind of America as a whole. But we're narrowing that focus a little bit and we're going to be looking at the series over the garden wall and i'm going to give just a a little bit of a brief rundown of it over the garden wall for those who do not know is a 10 episode mini series that aired in 2014 and it saw immense success with its run it won two emmys in 2015 for outstanding animated program and outstanding individual achievement in animation Additionally, the series was nominated for Annie Award and the Teen Choice Award. The series follows brothers War and Greg, as well as the companion Beatrice, a human turned into a bluebird, as they traverse their way through the unknown, a indescribable location that is made up of vast woods and a kind of a smattering of early American like colonization and pioneers. The main characters, Wart, which is voiced by Elijah Wood, and Greg, voiced by Colin Dean, find themselves wandering throughout the woods alone, finding multiple characters such as the Woodsman, a recurring character voiced by Christopher Lloyd. There are a couple major points of focus that I do want to take while we're doing this. The main one is the illusions within it and the formatting of the story. So we're going to talk about the illusions first. The big one that everyone talks about when it comes to Over the Garden Wall is its allusions to Dante's Inferno, which have to do with Beatrice, the bluebird, who is another character from Dante's Inferno who leads Dante through hell as kind of the tour guide of the place. Uh, Abby, have you read Dante's Inferno or do you know much about it at all? Um, can't say that I've read it, but I also just looked up the Wikipedia. Um, so, yeah. I basically read it then. Yeah, so you're the expert now at this point. Virtually, at this point. Well, 
a little fun fact that I don't think you knew that might be very interesting for the illusions of this is that in Dante's Inferno, the ring of hell that is reserved for people who succumb to suicide is where they turn into trees. Oh, wow. Yeah, I actually that is really cool. So for those of you who have read the series or who are not aware, this is going to be very spoiler heavy. We are focusing in on things that we believe are already known by our audience. So if you do not know any of this and you don't want anything to be spoiled, just don't listen to this podcast. Also, Over the Garden Wall is literally like 110 minutes. Like just take two hours out of your life and just go watch it and then you'll understand this whole entire podcast yeah just sit down just sit down for a little bit like we all do i mean after the quarantine everyone should have watched it at this point basically there's no excuse not even like a long movie no it would be a really short movie (laughs) it's like enough for a good a good fit of popcorn and that's it yeah uh but obviously for those who have watched it trying to reawaken some of the things. Wart, Greg, and all of the children who are lost or anyone who's lost in the unknown is turned into a type of tree that feeds the lantern. This is a very particular punishment because citizens following Dante's Inferno, each of the locations is supposed to be a temptation for them to stop at, for them to succumb to. And the fact that the beast, who is this unthinkable force that is tempting them who wants them to stop to end up in the cold in the dead it is them succumbing it is them giving up hope it is them effectively committing suicide because the only reason they stay alive throughout the whole series and that eventually they wake up is that they hold on to hope that they don't lose Mm it and i think what is it the woodsman who says it like the the beast is is the lost hope or something like that? Uh, he basically says, like, yeah, he kind of says that in the beginning. He basically tells the boys, like, this is more, like, lost. You're more lost than you'll ever be. That's what he says. Yeah, exactly. Which, again, is an illusion. It, it's foreshadowing to the later events that to lose hope is effectively, especially in this animation sense and in Dante's Inferno sense, is to commit suicide for them to just Mm -hmm. succumb to everything. That's the big one. And while I would love to focus on Dante's Inferno, it is not where I want to particularly focus. I want to narrow it a little bit more and talk about the formatting and how it plays into American Gothic. Abby, just as just a, like a super vague understanding, what would you say American Gothic is? Um, American Gothic is a type of well. First of all, first of all, American Gothic is that portrait that you everyone on Earth knows mm-hmm. um, of those creepy old people who hold a pitchfork. But American yes. Gothic literature is um, it delves into the creepy and the uncanny and the uncomfortable. It is not as horrific or as terror inducing as just regular gothic literature it's just a subdivision of that and that's what makes it i think so popular and so driven especially in uh colonialist literature is that it's supposed to be even remotely to feel real in a creepy way you are supposed to realize like hey maybe this could happen but then like ghosts show up and you're like oh wait maybe not but then you're like you're always on edge you never know what exactly is going on and you're always uncomfortable because there's never answers Uh, the true creepiness about a lot of american gothic is that it could not be a ghost it could just Mm -hmm. be a guy 
overthinking something. And mm -hmm. you you did hit a couple of things on the head that are very important. Um, there is an essay by Fag Ringel titled Early American Gothic, Puritan, and New Republic. There's just a few key annotates that talk about American Gothic as a genre that I do want to bring up. So one of the first things you talked about is that it is a subdivision of Gothic, which is very important because Gothic usually involves the old world, mm -hmm. England and such. Uh, a quote from the essay, one startling approach to creating Gothic terror in the new world was to import the old world's castles along with dungeons, cruel aristocratic fathers, loyal familiae, peasants, conspiracies, and the dead hand of the past. Those are major characteristics of Gothic that have been transported to what is now known as American Gothic. But when you when you think about Gothic, you're thinking about Dracula, Frankenstein, that um, the the Count of Monte Cristo, those particular old world big castles, mm -hmm. bats, and and that that type of mood. But those are inherently monsters. Like Dracula was a vampire. Yeah. Victor Frankenstein had a monster. There was always a physical entity. Gothic is intended to be real horror. Yes. It was supposed to give you something to visualize, which, I mean, it's mm -hmm. been taken over and over again. You can look at all of the movies that have been created. That's where American Gothic takes a different turn. And another important factor about American Gothic is that it was known as the poor man's literature. It was competing with modernism at that point. And so people who had money usually read modernist texts. People who don't have money were scaring themselves shitless with American Gothic. Um, so American Gothic is inherently ahistoric. It revives a time and place, but never existed. That's something we'll be talking back again later about how this has to do with categorizing over the garden wall into American Gothic. But one thing to, to think about, and that is a reoccurring thing, is that in a lot of American Gothic literature, they don't specify a location or a time. So if you think about Edgar Allan Poe's works, you're never quite... Think about Cask of the Montiato. I, mm -hmm. I can think very vividly off the top of my head about every single sequence that happens. They go into a catacombs, they go there, but I cannot for the life of me place it in a particular location or time. It just happens. Mm -hmm. I just looked it up. It, internet says in an unnamed city at a, in an unnamed specific year. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, yeah, so it's just... It exists, but does it? Yeah, not only is everything else, not only is the entire story vague enough that you're like, what's happening? But it's never grounded in a location or time either. So you can't decide what it means. Like, you can't be like, oh, there's a monster here because they had monsters in Amer in early Gothic because, I mean, they could just be in Philadelphia for all we know. I like that you said that, that it's not grounded in something specific, because that's very often what literature is supposed to do. You are supposed to uh, write something even fantastical in a way that your audience is able to um, identify with something. And when you write American Gothic, where everything is supposed to be unknown, that makes it unsettling for the reader even more because they can't identify anything. They can't identify themselves with the story. It's just exactly why Over the Garden Wall, I think that's so funny that they call the um, the forest the unknown because that's literally what American Gothic is. It explores what the unknown is and 
clearly undefines it. So there's just a few more quotes that I want to bring up that help ground this particular podcast and a little bit more understanding and research. Another thing I want to talk about is how the frontier played into American Gothic. So another quote, the original frontier narratives presented the journey into the wilderness, not as a quest, but as a captivity. The ordeal of the first American Mm -hmm. heroes, usually female, struggling to keep the light of faith aglow in a heathen darkness. That has to do with uh, the the captive narratives that happened during a lot of the indigenous wars that the the settlers fought, um, and how women were taken, and they wrote their narratives, and they became these amazing heroes. Um, think of Mary Rowlandson's mm. stories about how she became this amazing hero who who kept her her faith alive in Christianity against the oppressive heathens of the world. A lot of that first statement bled into American Gothic because instead of being these heroic adventures like Lewis and Clark and everything, they became trapped in the new world. The wilderness Mm -hmm. was not welcoming. Their quest was captivity. They became like the unwelcomed heroes. They didn't ask to be a hero. Mm -hmm. Which again plays into that and we'll be bringing that up later. And one more quote that's very important is how it's not just the woods that is scary all of the american all of american gothic is supposed to be scary because there's the sense of of loss of being lost somewhere mm-hmm. uh whether in the alleys of philadelphia or the caves or forests of the frontier and this is talking about a particular author but it bleeds into the full thing charles brockton brown's characters are stray they not their houses and landscapes are haunted their minds are their own dungeon american gothic is largely founded on how one character views everything because you are always viewing viewing the story through one person's lens which is why wart the romantic and sometimes dramatic main character is so important because he really does ground it in american gothic which is then why his turnaround later on is so satisfying because he he does not play into that last thread of American Gothic where he he succumbs to his overthinking and he listens to the vices. He actually, for a moment, steps out of his narrative and is like, okay, hold on a second. Your classic American Gothic, your classic, like, you know, just unknown stuff, always a forest, obviously, mm-hmm. forest of scary as shit. Um, but also the mind. Mm-hmm. The mind is the one thing where, like, if you get lost, uh, there is no map getting out. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna change tides a little bit. I we need we need to talk about Edgar Allan Poe. We brought him up a little bit, and he is going to be one of the key players in how Over the Garden Wall pulls half of its narrative into the story. So all the next couple Mm -hmm. of quotes are coming from Romanticism and the American Gothic by Alfred Bendix. And I'm going to start off with this quote that I think will, Abby, you'll very much appreciate it. Orphans who had to find their true place within an established hierarchy, not on individuals struggling to create new identities in a fluid, rapidly growing nation. So what this quote is saying is that as the world continued to change as they as children as people as any kind of literary figure had to find something new their identities mm-hmm. their brains and often themselves became lost in what is known as 
the unknown because they couldn't place themselves in a hierarchy. Isn't that a song like that one song from Treasure Planet? Yes. Well, I'm. Uh, it was by. I am not a moment to be real. Wanna touch things I don't feel. That song. Yeah, the goo. I'm pretty sure that's what that's about. That was by the Goo Goo Dolls. Yeah. Which was crazy finding that out after watching the movie when I was like 14 and be like, wait, hold up. I, the people who made Iris were hired by Disney. Uh, not part of this podcast, but go watch Treasure Planet. It's really good. So this is a Treasure Planet podcast. Yeah, now. now uh, so, um, <laughs> before it was a. So Treasure, American Gothic and Treasure Planet. <laughs> Delving into the unknown. That's all that Jim Let's does. Let's talk about the hero's journey for a second. <laughs> he didn't ask to become a hero. And that's it. inherently the goth gothicism of it. Yeah. Um, but let's talk about So what were we talking about before that? <laughs> uh some what was what was his name? Wart? Worm? Wart? Oh that guy. Uh, <laughs> Elijah Wood? Uh, oh my gosh, I love his work. Uh <laughs> <laughs> wasn't he the Hobbit? He was really good in that. He was a good He wasn't in the Hobbit, he was in Lord of the Rings. He was he pretended to be. It you know what? He you did. Could... He was in the first movie for literally a Yeah, minute. okay. There you go. He was in the Hobbit. You could make a really good argument though. It's similar to if you go back and watch newer newer releases of episode six of star wars and they cut out oh they cut out the original guy who played darth vader and they put the really hot anakin in his place as the the oh, flame yeah. spirit <laughs> that shows up at the end of the movie so you know how in lord of the rings in the second movie specifically um the two hobbits get taken away and then they run away after Aragorn and Legolas and Gimli are looking for them and they follow them into Fanghorn Forest, the scariest forest on earth that you don't go into because it's so unknown. So anyway, <laughs> over the garden wall. So over the garden wall. Um, <laughs> no, but actually pulling it back, I want to talk about episode, I think it's nine. Episode nine where you learn about war as a for modern yeah, life. As, when you learn about war yeah. as a person. Let's talk about how mm -hmm. he doesn't fit in. Okay. Let's talk about his limbo for a little bit. So one of the big things about American Gothic, especially when we're talking about Nathaniel Hawthorne, Edgar Allan Poe, these big names in, in the industry, uh, how, how Elijah Wood, Elijah Wood, the, the truest writer of American Gothic. Who's the other guy? Oh my God. What's his name? Who's that bitch? Mm. What? Sleepy Hollow. Who wrote Sleepy Hollow? Let's look it up. Sleepy Hollow. Book. Author. Washington Irvine. Yeah, Washington Irvine. Rip Van Winkle. That's it. That's what we're, I'm, I wanted to talk about. Washington Irvine. Yeah, yeah. Washington Irvine's book, uh, short story, Rip Van Winkle, has this old guy, not really an old guy, but he doesn't quite have a place in society. And then when he comes back, he super he goes up in the mountain and he falls asleep and he falls asleep for a hundred years and then when he comes back the whole world has changed. Um, hmm. This this is a characterization of American Gothic that isn't quite founda foundational to Washington Irving but is utilized later, where these characters don't have a set place in their society. Wart mm -hmm. it feels out of place in the whole story. He doesn't. He doesn't yeah. feel like he belongs anywhere till the very end of the series when he comes into himself. But he's always 
he's quoting poetry and he's over talking and he's trying to be the hero and he's not being the hero. And then you learn about him as a person and you see him fumble around with people who genuinely want to spend time with him because he just doesn't get it. Yeah. He's your classic nerd. Yeah. He is your classic nerd. And it's funny too, because you expect when you first see him, you think people are going to make fun of him. Like all of his fears are going to be confirmed because we all grew up on the same 80s, 90s media where mm -hmm. you bully the nerd. And no one does that. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, well, it's up to us. Yeah. You know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll bully him. Uh, we'll bully him. Oh my God. <laughs> but no one does. They're like, oh yeah, go to that party. And when his when when Greg is like, oh, let's go in, and Wart's like, we weren't invited. Wart walks in and everyone's like, Wart. And he's like, hi. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, I didn't mm -hmm. mean um but that that's foundational into why Wart works as a main character because he he embodies this concept of American Gothic that there is no set place for him and that's why he then breaks the conventions of American Gothic because he manages to get it, to find a place in the world. For anyone confused about maybe what uh, Wart was like, think of that one scene in Meet the Robinsons. Oh my god! Yeah. Um. When that kid, whose name I can't remember at the moment, he's like, everyone hated me. But everyone at the school was like, hey, do you want to like come to my house today? We love Goob. you. Oh my it god, was you such a cool binder. It was Goob. It was Goob, yes, Goob. <laughs> They're like, hey, Goob, I love you. And he's like, everyone hated me. That's <laughs> It is exactly <laughs> like that. So uh, another quote is, a source of terror rooted in a loss of identity and a plunge into nature as the liminal space of transformation. And then nature as a place where one can become lost and an understanding of the fragility of identity in the new democratic world. So romanticism and American Gothic is starkly rooted in this concept that democracy was just starting to flood. This is coming right after the Revolutionary War. It starts off with Washington Irving, kind of ends with Edgar Allan Poe. And one thing that a lot of these art these authors took into account was how people were feeling about changing ideas. So they went from mm -hmm. they went from a very largely governed by England and then became governing themselves and people kind of felt lost in that world. And so what a lot of these authors did was they transposed that sense of loss of identity into the scariness of the woods of America, because not only is going to America learning about the new world and experiencing new mm -hmm. things it is losing what you have foundationally thought of as yourself like you used to be english and now you have to become american which isn't even defined as anything other than scary woods and what's so actually i love what you said um being lost in nature the stark similarities of american gothic with romanticism and even fantasy is that american gothic sees being lost in nature as scary, terrifying, creepy, terrible. But in fantasy, in romanticism, if you get lost in nature, suddenly you are your you found yourself. You're a new person. Everything is great because you're in one with nature now. And that's what American Gothic takes and it twists it. It makes nature wrong. Mm -hmm. And uh going back to how a, a singular character plays into that. Mm -hmm. Be because Wart is the one who's lost. Greg is never really lost ever in right. the story. He's actually forced to become lost. But how the woods plays into that and how 
the landscape plays into that is that there are two big things that Poe in particular mastered is that there's never really specified source of anxiety or injury. So throughout his stories, people are crazy, they're hurt, that something is wrong, but you never quite understand what's going on. And mm -hmm. that all of his characters fail to understand the meaning of their own stories. And that constitutes the most American version of that mode, even when his stories seem to evade specific national identity. So long story short, all of his main characters never understand what their story is about. They always tell mm -hmm. it wrong. They always do something wrong that they shouldn't. That they, they could have, they were almost close enough to having a different story but they they fucked up at some point and then their story became not fun the beauty of over the garden wall where wart becomes smart for like a minute yeah. at the very end oh it's it's so good and it's it's, it's so satisfying. It's built on years of assumptions. Over the Garden Wall mm -hmm. is so self-aware because it knows American Gothic, when it was forced, first being formed, was having to compete with all these other narratives where people were becoming their own heroes. And there was a ton of propaganda going around about the white man in America and like England and everything that having characters that just were lost. And, and didn't know what to do with themselves was new and it was exciting, which is why people picked up American Gothic left and right. So then years and years go by and everyone has read Poe. Everyone knows the anxiety of American Gothic and to have a story set up in the same way, like tit for tat that you could read The Raven. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden to subvert all of those expectations is probably the greatest form of american gothic that you could do and it inherently changes the outcome of the story so that it is not mm -hmm. american gothic right i mean that's that ex expectation for the main character to fail and to die or to have something really awful happen to them is completely rooted in just gothic literature where the hero will always lose in horror yeah that's what makes it horror in the because it would change genres you're supposed to be scared but in American Gothic, you're supposed to just be unsettled, and then you just expect the main character to just be dumb and do the dumb thing. Mm -hmm. Because that, that is the thing that they always will take away from Gothic, is that you will lose kind of thing. So, like, even though in American, in American Gothic you are, like, a more realistic character, your character has better thoughts, I guess, a bigger brain maybe. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and then all of a sudden they do the thing where it's like, well, why would you, why would you do, why would you do the thing? Why would you do the thing? That, you know, and then they die. And then in American, American Gothic, in um, Over the Garden Wall, Wirt doesn't do the thing that is dumb. Poe went on record to say that the greatest horror is the human failure to understand the world in front of us. That's what he wrote mm -hmm. about, is how people didn't understand the world in front of us. And Wirt does. He gets the yeah. world in front of us. But again, it it does it is not to the detriment of the series. Like him doing that does not all of a sudden make it not American Gothic. I think it actually makes it more American Gothic. And it also took him nine episodes to get it, you know? Yes. So, like, it still really followed that format for a really long time, especially when, like, in the very beginning of the series, the very first episode, he's being like, oh, we shouldn't trust the woodsman. When, like, IRL, 
you'd be like, wait, Woodsman, why are you here? Like, he would just ask him a simple question, and he would be like, oh, yeah, the Beast um, doesn't like me, and uh, I, like, am doing this oil thing to keep his spirit alive or whatever. And you would find out, like, within seconds that maybe the Woodsman's a good guy, but he just immediately assumes things, and then it just ruins... It literally is the reason that they are stuck for so, so long is because he did the dumb thing yep. early on. Wart's mental state changes both the seasons and it changes the story. Because mm-hmm. when he's at his highest, it's it's a beautiful... When he's on the boat. When he's on the boat with the mm-hmm. frogs and everything, it's a beautiful fall day. There's singings, there's dancing, everyone's having a good time. And the minute that something goes south, it becomes winter. Um, Literary, this is talking about American Gothic, particularly Poe, literary artistry through a complexity of characterizations that included explorations of aberrant psychology and carefully structured plot that often moves the reader into a nightmare world. As a character changes, the world around them changes. And that is another key factor in American Gothic. Take, um, Take the Telltale Heart, for example. As you start to get more into his head as you as you hear the TikToks, or not the TikToks, but the thumping of the mm-hmm. heart. The language changes, the mood changes, yeah. and all of a sudden, there's a lot of words that have that butump, butump, butump feeling to it. Yeah, and what's that other one? The Mask of the Red Death. Yes, Edgar Allan Poe. That one's just your classic. Like, you never know what's going on in this whole story until, like, the very end. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you're like, oh. Oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my bad. It's like opening a door. Have you have you ever been... This happens to me at work all the time, but just you're, you're sure, you're dead sure that if you open that door to the bathroom stall or something, no one's going to be in there. You're just like... I'm good. And then you open it and then you're like, oh, my bad. And you have to close it real fast. That's what reading The Mask of the Red Death feels like. I really thought you were going to be like, you're going to open a door and you know for sure that someone's going to be behind it and then they're not. And I was like, damn, that's creepy as fuck. Oh, he's just someone who's mid-changing. But you were talking about a bathroom instead. Yeah, I was. <laughs> okay, but that happened to me a week ago. It was my my I have one male coworker and I was getting changed in the bathroom and I the only thing I had off was my shirt and he opened the door. He's like, My bad, and he slammed it. And then he tried to later he tried to find me to apologize. He's like, I'm I'm really sorry. I, I really thought I'm like, bro, it's fine. It was only my tits, and then I walked away. <laughs> I sure hope that doesn't happen to me at work because I work alone. So if I open the door on someone, um, it's terrifying. I'm quitting. Yeah. <laughs> Either <laughs> someone got back there who's not supposed to, or you're haunted. Or I'm haunted. Yeah. I mean, probably it, both. It, it's not surprising. Speaking of haunting, let's talk about the landscape a little bit. Uh, this goes into formatting. Uh, so we're going to start off with, I want to start off with landscape um, because what really drew drove me toward um, this particular series over the garden wall is that it is inherently not it it doesn't have a location because take for example the i don't remember what episode it is but it's the rich uncle or the the guy that they pretend is his uncle Mm -hmm. i mean there are mansions like that in america but it is inherently supposed to be english i mean he talks in in a vaguely english accent too 
and oh. and there's the the wife who's French. Like it's supposed to throw you off off kilter that there's this kind of vaguely English location, but there's a lot of Pennsylvania Dutch imagery. There's a lot of that weird Pennsylvania Penn's Woods energy, especially in the second episode with Pottsfield. Mm. That is all Pennsylvania Dutch. And I think that's what's very fascinating about this series is that it, if any of you have lived in Pennsylvania or have been near it, the state is still just as creepy as episode two of Over the Garden Wall. <laughs> like there is just decrepit barns all over the place for no apparent reason. And I think that's what's so fascinating is that this is a lot of imagery that people grew up on in seeing what the pioneers did, seeing what the pilgrims did, how early America was like the, the, the unknown is supposed to be a look into America's history, but it has enough speckling of what you see in modern day with the decrepit barns, with the, the, the outfits, just the festivals, like the weird shit that's going on. Mm-hmm. And you can still there are still festivals for that. Like there are like what mm-hmm. bratwurst festivals or some some weird stuff and harvest festivals all of the time. And so it what is supposed to be a historic that is it still is a historic because all of a sudden all these things that you have seen in real life and you've seen in old weird picture books that have like grainy edges have come together. Like you've seen the bar that Wart walks in because we've all walked into a bar, but everyone's dressed in pilgrim getup. It's it's so strange how they can show you early America and still keep you rooted in modern day America because Wart is supposed mm-hmm. to be that melding. Yeah, but you don't really even know that Wart and Greg are modern. No. You literally don't even find that out until virtually the end. Mm-hmm. And they're just kind of dressed weird, but you don't really think anything of it. And then you learn about it and you're like, oh. And and I think that's what the, the particular power of Over the Garden Wall is that it, it takes you through a, an oversaturation of illusions. You've got Dante's Inferno. You've got references to early animation. You've got all of the American Gothic illusions, but it still feels like a cohesive story. And you can either pick up on those illusions or you cannot, but you still get the same experience. And um, I'm just thinking of this right now, kind of tangential to what we're talking about, but it also blends like that the horror of Dante's Inferno with the fantasy of what Beatrice is. Mm-hmm. Tell me a, a single Disney movie that doesn't have a talking bird in it. Uh, you, I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I don't know. Uh, hold on. Hold but on. But it, it's not like that easy. Go get them fantasy, and also uh, Greg is just like so aloof the whole time. You literally never know, like, if they're normally in such a fantastical world. Because as soon as they meet Beatrice you know, what's his name, Wirt, is just like, um, birds aren't supposed to talk. And then Greg's just like, what are you talking about? Like, why would you say something so dumb? Beatrice is just a bro. Yes. So, like, there's always this, you are never unsure, you are never sure, like, who is right and who is wrong. That also plays into uh, the, the formatting, because it tags, it tugs you along very quickly for, but it feels like a long time. 
Um, it is a 10 episode series. As Abby said earlier, it runs at 110 minutes and you are, you are dragged along every single second. It is not, mm-hmm. it is not a hard series to plow through, but you are aware of it the whole time, which is also very important to American Gothic. Poe was the one who really like settled on this. He said his emphasis on literary craftsmanship requires works short enough to read in a single sitting and long enough to allow for a significant development of mood and theme. So not only is the root of American Gothic all of these things that we've been saying, but it is also the concept of the short story, which the the creators of Over the Garden Wall have transposed into a mini series or a 10 episode series. You can you watch it in one sitting and you've got the full yeah. story. If you don't watch it in one sitting, you virtually have to rewatch it anyway because you're like, I don't understand anything. And that's because no one on Earth understands anything about the show until the end anyway. Yes. And that that's one of the best parts about it is that you're like, oh, I kind of get it now, I guess. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> But like, I'm still confused, but that's the, that's the beauty of it. Cause I mean, even me rewatching it, the, I've watched the series like 10 times, maybe Mm -hmm. more. And the most recent time I watched it episode, I think it's episode eight after the introduction of, after the title card, there is the sound of a train. And I had never heard that all the times Mm -hmm. I had watched it. I had never heard the sound of a train and I'm like, oh my gosh, they are foreshadowing how you like everything you're learning. There's a few other things I want to talk about, but we are, we are really heavy hitting. Like this is, these are all very important things. And this is the the encapsulation of American Gothic. We do have to talk about Hawthorne a little bit. We talked about Poe a lot. Um, Hawthorne, um, Nathaniel Hawthorne, famous for the Scarlet Letter. He, actually read that one let's do it let's talk about this one we're not talking about the scarlet letter oh god damn it. we're just talking about the guy because god damn there is something very important that he specified about his works of american gothic the most famous most anthologized and most representative of the early gothic tales were not intended to stand alone but to appear as a part of a broader representation of the possibilities and dangers of the american spirit let me break that down a little bit Nathaniel Hawthorne was famous not originally as a novelist, but as a short story writer, similar to his counterpart, Edgar Allan Poe. Those are some of his creepiest and weirdest stories that have brought into what is known as modern day American Gothic. Something that is thought as American Gothic and sometimes miss it's a misconception is that American Gothic cannot be funny. It is this creepy, it is weird. And when I first went into this statement, into talking about Over the Garden Wall and American Gothic, I genuinely was afraid that there was going to be this misconception of listeners that a funny cartoon series cannot be American Gothic. And I still, to a degree, have this fear, especially out of some of the scholars in my field. But Nathaniel Hawthorne's focus and this essays which is still american of romanticism and american gothic has made it very clear that many of these stories are not standalone they are written with the intention that other people are writing comedic versions of american life they're writing just informative booklets that american gothic is the only way it works is when it is wrapped up in the full american 
concept of both the hilarious, of both the scary, of the informative and everything. So with that in mind and understanding that because it is a miniseries, Over the Garden Wall excels as an American Gothic piece because it has the humor that offsets the horror. Mm -hmm. And that's a... That's a big statement that I am making, but everything that I have stated has led up to to what I believe to be the truth of the matter is that American Gothic is not meant to stand alone. It, yeah. it is in, an encapsulation of everything that is America and over the garden wall is inherently American. It is something we have all seen driving or living in America. It works because there's other other pieces of literature or even other pieces of media that it has to bounce off of. Mm-hmm. And I mean, even even just breaking it down a little bit more about that's the big thing. Hawthorne has a couple of things that make him an an, an additional valuable resource when it comes to American Gothic and especially over the Garden Wall. He has this his some of his favorite narrators is a historian recounting a young man's initiation into, com- into a complex world that will destroy his innocence. So the unknowable frog narrator who recounts the story of the unknown and about wart who's losing his innocence or in a sense uh relearning it uh you've also got hawthorne solidifies a clearly american gothic tradition in which the great danger is becoming lost in the dark wilderness of a new world whose underlying mythology embraces renewal and rebirth but whose history included repression and failure they can get out of the unknown it is their it is their conscious choice whether they will do that or not. The mythology of the mm-hmm. world, it's alive. Like the unknown is alive. There are people living there and experiencing their life and they they relearn, they renew, re- they rebirth. They can stop. Greg and Wart are encouraged to stop at any of these numerous locations and live their life out that way. But it is trying to kill them. Mm-hmm. Um and there's one more. This is the last major quote, and then we're gonna just going to kind of talk a little bit more and wrap it up. This comes from American Gothic, Realism, and Naturalism by Monica Elbert and Wendy Ryden. This is based off of a book. It's known as The Beast in the Jungle by Henry James in 1903. But how they describe the main character, I think, is very important as we wrap up Wart's character and his how he plays such an, a pivotal role in making this American Gothic. Uh, Marcher, the main character, feels the existential abyss of failed romanticism as he vainly and somewhat perversely awaits a robust, tragic fate, only finally to discover that the tragedy is missed opportunity for human connection and his own narcissistic alienation. That's Wart. That's Wart. That is Wart to a T. He only evolves as a character when he like takes a step back for one stupid minute and realizes what he did to himself. He, as a character, falls into the trap of his own mind. He falls into the Edgar Allan Poe narrator trap. He falls into the beast in the jungle. He is he is so close to being a tragic American Gothic narrator. And he does it. Yeah, he even follows that whole, like, romanticism thing. When you find out about his life back back at home, uh, in the modern world, 
and you find out that he's like a romantic and he's he just wants to find love and he wants to play by the book and he wants to be like a secondary character if if his life was just written and he had his life written out for him he would love to be just like a secondary character not the main character and then he finds out you know he just actually has a brain and he's like wait why why am I going to let the beast take me? Why am I going to let Greg take my place for me as like a tree person? Why are we afraid of the beast? Why are we afraid of the beast? Why have I let Greg do this? Why have I let my entire life going up to high school be dictated by my mother's marriage to another man, by my love for a girl that I'm too afraid to talk to? To, to not actually well, there one of the big things is that Greg wants him to join marching band. Do you remember that? No. Greg is like Greg is like uh he gets excited when when Wart goes to the stadium and Greg's like, "Yeah, join the marching band. Me me and dad always want you to do that." And Wart kind of goes off. He's like, "You and your dad never know what's good for me." And it's such a little thing, but it's human connection mm-hmm. that he is actively ignored. And he's good at it too. And it's that's that's the continual theme is that Wart tries to alienate himself so hard, so hard to make him to make out that like so everyone like people are a villain around him and no one gets him and blah 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 blah. But at the end of the day, it's it's his own narcissistic alienation. Like they, Monica Elbert and Wendy Ryden were talking about a whole different person, but they got Wart in in a little jar the alienation that he created in his own mind and that's what makes you think about what on the earth actually happened Mm -hmm. did they die did they go to hell for a minute and then actually for real escape like what actually happened we're gonna do a kind of like a big picture roundabout of some of the big ideas that we talked about because we did talk about a lot of ideas but the big ones are is that over the garden wall is probably the most cohesive and and greatest standing version of what i would consider american gothic it has all the illusions that would back it up that bring people in thinking it's american gothic it has the it has a main character who follows all the forms but it also does not fall prey into becoming what used to be American Gothic. It mm-hmm. modernizes the idea by subverting the expectations, which is inherently what American Gothic does. And because of its comic, its cartoon format, it has created a perfect way to get out the information and also to found to put the horror of American Gothic in the foundation of living the American life, which is what makes and American for the Gothic. First time, it ends in hope. That's mm-hmm. that's the real kicker. Yeah. And and that subversion is what has created such a standing uh, a standing feeling of the series. Most people I have I've recommended to or who have watched this have thought about this series following it. It really sits in your brain because it does something that very few other things have managed to do where you sit back for a moment and you watch the hero do the thing that you've been yelling at them to do for 10 minutes. 10 episodes, virtually. Yeah, you're like, do the right thing! And then 
episode 10, you're like, oh my gosh, he did it. Yeah, you're almost surprised. You get to the 10th episode and you're like, well, Wirt and Greg are going to die because they both have smooth brains and can't <laughs> think. <laughs> you're, and then you're, you're like, wait, he he survived. He did the thing. He became the hero he's wanted to be that everyone actually thinks he is. You're like a mom at a soccer. Have you ever been to a, a soccer game for like some little kids and you know the mom's kid who sucks? The, like, the I've been worst. to my own soccer games. And, okay. So, yeah. so you might know like where, where the mom's like, it's a foul, call it ref. And they're like yelling the whole time because their kid sucks. I'm going to and- be completely honest. That was my dad. <laughs> I was playing soccer, and he would constantly be like, go, be on the left side, be on the left side, kick with your front foot. And I'd be like, why are you healing him? <laughs> and the, the minute the minute that kid, uh, I guess you in this scenario, the minute you did something right, it's just, it's like dead silence. It's like, oh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't expect that. And, and they're kind of like, they're like showing off. They're like, that's my kid. That's mine. <laughs> they did the right thing. Like I thought that they would. I thought I'm, I didn't think they do it, which is why I've been yelling for 10 episodes straight. But you know what? <laughs> they shut me up. <laughs> I'm quiet now. That's the true American Gothic is just a, a soccer game. A kid's it's, soccer it's, game. It's, that's, I think, and you can tell me I'm wrong. Don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure that's like the third ring of hell in Dante's Inferno. It's just a <laughs> game. You know, <laughs> I having read Dante's Inferno, I, I yes, I mean it's not, <laughs> but yes, <laughs> like I, I never played soccer. I was a softball kid, but my sister played soccer, and I remember during her practices and her games. I would wander to the back of the field and there was just this huge mound that had like needles and broken fishing wire and glass all over the place. And I would climb up it with a bunch of kids who, who none of us liked each other. And we would just get cut up all over the place while we were watching a bunch of parents yell at their you were kids. You in the third circle of hell. Yeah, that was exactly where I was. <laughs> it was so As fun. I- Walking through this, like, circle of hell, you're just going past, like, fields and fields of kids playing soccer, asking when halftime is, and it never comes. <laughs> it never Even though there's so many fresh oranges waiting for you. Halftime never comes. And <laughs> you know what? That's that's exactly uh, what the crucifixion of Christ was like. Oh, no. <laughs> Yeah, that that's not a through line, but I swore up and down in the first episode with Kenzie that I would bring Jesus up in every single episode. So here he is. It's the Jesus hour. I could have done that so much sooner, honestly. No, I had to do it. Oh, okay. Because it's got I have I have to do it again and again and again. So I'm gonna I'll put a little fanfare in this little section and it'll be the Jesus hour of Sam Explains It All. Um Okay. I think Abby, give us give us some parting words. Give us a give us a little goodbye line. What what did you get? 
Uh, what did I get? It turns out that I was here for Over the Garden Wall and instead talked about literally every other medium of media on the earth instead. Like the Robinsons and Lord of the Rings and just mostly Elijah Wood. Um, and that's how literature is, guys. It is. That's what literature is. It is what literature is. So if we were to... The, the main title of this was over the garden wall in american gothic venturing into the unknown give us like a, a little a, a punchy one-liner that goes with that title oh god i believe in that's you. a lot of pressure you're putting on me i know but you're like you're the sexiest friend i have if anyone can do it it's you i think that's the one-liner into the unknown <laughs> be your sexiest self you're, you're the sexiest friend i have <laughs> thank you all for listening this has been sam explains it all please follow me on twitter on facebook on youtube on spotify like the show share it with your friends you can find me at, at any of these taglines and i have just set up a a kofi so it should be on my Twitter. If you want to support the show in any way, I have to buy a lot of research books to do all of this stuff. So if you want to help me buy some of my books, I'd really appreciate it. Additionally, Anytime I you want to meet Sam in person, she will be at your nearest Taco Bell at 3 p.m. sharp drinking a Baja Blast. I will. Uh, I'll usually have someone with me who went in for me because I don't do that. Like my my little sibling or my boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> so you can you can meet them too. Um, I will also be putting Abby's information if you are interested in her work or any of her, her editing. And you guys can just follow me on Twitter because I'm hilarious. Yeah, follow Abby on Twitter because she's hilarious. But again, please support the show if you really like what we're doing. We'd love to have some input. I would love to see what people are looking for, what brought you here. But as always, stay sexy, stay smooth, and thank you all for listening. This has been Sam Explains It All. And Abby. Do, 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 do.